Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, the chaplain at Georgia Tech Catholic Center. This is Anthony Haskin, the pastoral lackey at the Catholic Center. And this is Alex Tatum, uh, head of the Apologetics, History, and Heresy class here at the Catholic Center, and also one of the small group leaders for RCIA. So this is Alex's first time on the podcast. Tell us a little something about yourself, Alex. So I am a convert to Catholicism. I spent majority of my life as an unbaptized uh, Protestant. A heathen. Heathen, yeah, if you will. Yeah. Um, and uh, my brother, Christopher Sharp, um, who was also unbaptized heathen, um, found the Catholic Church and then kind of brought me along with him, kind of kicky. I kind of went kicking and screaming to my first Mass. Um, and then after my first Mass, I was kind of sold on the whole thing. Took me another five years to actually convert, but now I'm in, and I'm in for life. When did you come into the church? 2014, actually, here at the Catholic Center. So Less than three short years, you're the head of our apologetics team? Yeah, that's more of that. How did that, that happen? <laughs> that's more on y'all than it is on me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we're happy to have Alex. He's uh, quite the personality here at the Catholic Center, and people have been asking for a long time for him to be on the podcast. And so uh, we have a topic today that, uh, for the first time in a long time, I know absolutely nothing about. (laughs) So I'm just the color commentator today. Uh, And guys, what is it we're talking about? What, what, What is it you've decided to call this podcast? I think it's the question... Do dragons exist? Yes. Or are dragons real? Yes. Are, dragon, are dragons real and other fantastical Catholic legends? Are dragons real and other fantastical Catholic, Catholic legends. legends? Exactly. Okay, so is the question, are dragons real, is that a real question? Or is this like a metaphor? Okay, so... <laughs> okay, so it's a real question in the sense that we are going to be questioning it. The whole point of this podcast is not for people to think that they're just going to be walking down 10th Street and a dragon's going to come by and pick and snatch them up. I mean, like, so are we, are we trying to say that, like, The Hobbit was a documentary? No, no. Right? Smog is, is, well, is really a real thing? Well, if we're talking about the books, no. <laughs> and we don't talk about the movies. Exactly. So, Thank you very much. The movies don't exist. Uh-huh. I don't know what you're talking about. Especially a third one with an elf dwarf love story. Anyway. Um, Which is considered by most to be the best in the series. <laughs> right. oh, the, the, the pinnacle of cinema, if That's you will. Right. The the best, maybe the best movie ever made. Exactly. Right? Yeah, no. It's like, Godfather. The only thing that would have made that movie better is if Jar Jar had been, had in, been it. Yes. in the movie. Yes. You can't see yeah. my face right now, but there's smoke coming out of my ears. And I'm Jar about Jar to explode. with lightsabers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, so what the main point that Anthony and I have talked about, well, okay, so if you look at the. So, first off, I think it would be fair to actually. Why we're talking about dragons in first place? Which the most famous, I would love to know why the most famous that. Catholic dragon outside of like a metaphor for Satan and Saint Michael like throwing right. the great dragon out of heaven. Which I think is that evidence enough that dragons are real? Yeah. So uh, podcast done. Thank you, guys. <laughs> the Dragon of Revelation. <laughs> um, but one of the more famous Catholic dragon stories would have to be Saint George, um, which Anthony is actually going to let us talk yeah, to us about Saint in George. Brief. Uh, Many, I guess most people know or see pictures of St. George and he's stabbing a dragon. So the story goes, um, St. George was born 
in somewhere around Turkey or in Palestine, yeah. that area, something. The, the story happens in Turkey, but I forget where he was born. Yeah. He's, a, he's a soldier in the Roman infantry under uh, when Diocletian is emperor. His father is actually a friend of the emperor's, and so St. George gets a prominent position in the military. Um, but eventually Diocletian begins persecuting Christians, and St. George is martyred. St. George is a Roman soldier? Yes, yeah, okay. and Roman he's soldier. eventually martyred for not recanting uh, his Christian faith um, after Diocletian is going to purge the military of Christians. So just that as a story that is what, like yeah. an awesome, yes. This like, is why we venerate St. George yes. as a saint. He died as a martyr. But there is a story that goes along. He's in Turkey somewhere, and there's this town that they draw water from the spring, and it has been occupied by a dragon, and they can no longer get water. And they have found out that they can draw the dragon away from the from the spring with uh, sacrifices of sheep, and it'll go away long enough for them to get water while it eats the sheep. But they have since run out of sheep and are going to sacrifice the the monarch of this you know village or town. They're going to sacrifice his daughter to the dragon. Because obviously, once you've run out of sheep, next logical step is daughter of the king. Daughter, daughter of, of the, the king, king, of course. Yes. And the king is like pleading with them, like he was willing to give up his kingdom, you know, or whatever he has, give all his money to them. And they're like, no, we we want water. We're sacrificing your daughter to this dragon, or so they claim. And and the nick of time, as they're bringing this woman to the dragon, uh, Saint George shows up and slays the dragon. There's different accounts of how he does it. One is that he slays it, or he weakens it and puts a collar around it and takes it into the town and will only slay it if they convert to Christianity. One is he slays it and they, in awe of him as a great Christian soldier, convert to Christianity uh, afterwards and he baptizes them all. I like, I like the threat of dragon. Like, yeah. I will only I will re-release this dragon if you do not convert. Um... But yeah, then yeah, that's the story. And the so point all, being, he all, kills the dragon, kills the and dragon. the town converts. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why you see all the pictures of Saint George. He's on a horse, usually stabbing a dragon with his lance. Yeah, in the face. <laughs> and so he became one of the some mo- sort of kind of meaning we're supposed to take from this story. Well, okay, so than- like hearing it, so like, and this just came to me as Anthony's hearing it. But there's obviously the theory that you know, obviously this might be some sort of demon that's plaguing the town. And for legend's sake, it's getting personified as a dragon. 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 However, then if you look at it from the historical aspect of it, so every ancient civilization, from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Egyptians to the Chinese to the Mayans, have some depiction of a giant lizard-like creature that, for all intents and purpose, looks like a dragon. And then my point to that would be like, obviously, you can make the argument the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, like they're getting to know each other. Oh, there's a common history there. You know, they're having tea on Sunday or whatever. They're discussing this. But you look at like the Chinese and the Mayans, these are civilizations that's having no contact with people for thousands of years. Yet they're having very, like, if you look at. And we've talked about it in apologetics before, more of showing a common origin to kind of like unite all of these civilizations, as obviously as Catholics, we believe we came from one point, so we should see like origins of that. But if you look at like Chinese dragons and Greek dragons look almost identical of like these giant lizard like creatures. And so my point necessarily, and again, it's not like 
it's we're not thinking Harry Potter or what's that Aragorn? What's that? We don't talk about that anyway. <laughs> or like Smog, where it's like this fantastical beast with giant wings breathing fire. But that the argument could be made that there may have been like these giant. There was something along these lines that maybe these people ran across to, or there's something that's manifesting itself against these different empires. Could it be just an ill-tempered salamander? It could, yeah. Or, you know. With St. George, some nights to say it's, you know, a very large crocodile or something in this that, because it's yeah. in the water or something like that. But, but the point being is that... Could and, it be just a metaphor for, like, a false god? It, or, yes. Yeah, or, or that's what I'm saying. Or a, demon's cho- or a demon yeah, maybe is chosen mm-hmm. to manifest itself in this way. Because um, it's interesting that you mention, like... Uh, uh, that they were going to kind of resort to human sacrifice yeah. after they were done with because sacrificing that's the same lambs. thing that happens in the Old Testament over uh-huh. and over and over again, right? Like yeah. Abraham comes down out of or over from Ur of the Chaldeans, right? He enters into the land of Canaan, and the religion that's practiced in Canaan in various different forms all involves human and or child sacrifice. Yeah, and the people all through the Old Testament. Like, when they apostatize and go back to these old faiths and these old ways of practicing religion, it's always falling back into human sacrifice. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting mm-hmm. that you're describing a kind of uh, a kind of situation in which the people were about to fall back into human sacrifice. Yeah. I, I, and so going back, so if the way we're constructing the argument, again, it's not to actually be like, yes, dragons exist. But when we look at other fantastic, and not, obviously that is the most fantastical story in Catholicism. That's like there's little I mean, outside no, of the fantastical stories in the Bible. Yes, I mean, like, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. would, well, in the Old Testament, of course, there's the kind of personification of Satan and the Leviathan, this sort of right serpent-like beast. Mm-hmm. Um, that dwells in the sea. Yeah, and well, and, and then, also in the Book of Revelation, of course, we have uh-huh. the dragon plus yeah. other beasts. And, well, and then you've yeah. got like a, a whale, like the whale or sea beast yeah. that's swallowing. Like Jonah's literally Jonah. living three right. know, days in a sea beast. Or then, like even with Exodus, obviously the Red Sea parting mm-hmm. and a pillar of fire dropping from the sky. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it, I, th- I find it odd that people are, are quick to dismiss stories that like this that happen just after you know after. The end of the Gospels, yeah. the end of the New Testament. Uh, well, because we also see... Th- okay, so, like, for example, my patron saint is St. Boniface, and if any of y'all have even been remotely near a apologetics Christmas class, you know the story. But just basically, St. Boniface, this is, uh, this is like fall of the Roman Empire, 500, 600s. He's going out, and he's missioning to pagan Germany. And pagan Germany is predominantly Norse mythology, your Thors, your Odins, all that jazz. And... Um, one of the stories is while he's missioning, he's found this town in Germany where on Christmas Eve, obviously they don't know it's Christmas Eve, but December 24th every year, they take a child and they sacrifice the child to Thor in the center of this town. They have this giant oak tree called a thunder oak. So Boniface hears about us. He gets like his posse together and he's like, we're stopping this. We're stopping this child sacrifice. And he goes right as they're about to kill the child. And at this point, he's been made bishop of the first bishop of, uh, I always forget which the first seat is in Germany, but he's the archbishop, first bishop in Germany. And he's got his bishop crozier with him. And they're going to kill the child with a hammer. And he sticks out his crozier to block the blow of a hammer, which if any of y'all have seen a crozier, a crozier <laughs> is not going to withstand the blow of a giant stone hammer. He 
puts out his crozier to block the blow, the hammer breaks into pieces. Then he picks up an axe and just in one fell swoop chops down this giant thunder oak in one swoop. And it's like, your god, the false god Thor is dead. Because obviously the townspeople think if anybody's going to attack the tree, Thor's going to strike him down with lightning. And here's a man that, A, has not only destroyed a hammer with this, like, you know, bishop's staff, but has then also just kind of killed our god in one fell swoop. And then from there, a evergreen tree, a little pine fir tree is growing at the base of it and he talks about how like it always points upward as a symbol of Christ and its leaves don't its leaves don't fall off in the winter time how Christ came in the darkest of times and that's where we get all the Christmas tree from because it's literally like St. Boniface and the evergreen tree and so, so wait a minute you just opened a can of worms right there because the vast majority of people in this world think that uh, what they've heard about the pit Christmas tree is that this is some sort of pagan symbol that Christians <laughs> adopted yeah. to use for, for Christmas which also is a pagan holiday Yes, that we just baptized. So, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, we all. It's like who knows when? Je- no, Jesus. I mean, if we really are Catholics, I mean, take away the. Tra- I mean, take away the tradition and like actually being able to date Christmas in the Bible. It's like we have historical accounts of Christians celebrating Christmas in like the early one hundreds, which would be like somebody questioning us about like historical references of like the election of Rutherford B. Rutherford B. Hayes or like the Civil Who War. Who was a president of the United States. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Or about somebody questioning us about the Civil War or something. It would just be like to us that would be like, that's absurd. We're so close to history, yet we're doing this with these early Christians. Well, dating of Christmas, that's a... That's a whole different topic. That's a whole and so is other Christmas topic. Trees. Yes. No, but the point is we have this... So we well, have the this story of the Christmas tree is this story of Boniface. Right. It's the story of Boniface. Yeah, it's us. like... And that... Like, as Catholics, that's where we go to. And, like, you also... you all, I mean, you have other stories. Like, a Paradise Plays and Adam and Eve gets all into that. And, obviously, trees are a big... I mean, trees are a running theme throughout Christianity, especially in the Old Testament. You have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've got the Jesse tree, the, the, the roots from Jesse. Jesse, of course, being the father of King David. And it's like you have this running theme. And, and so it's like people are like, Christians don't like trees. And it was like, do you read the Old Testament? <laughs> we talk about trees all the time. But again, so going back to that, we have this fantastical story of St. Boniface. And we have other fantastical stories of saints that we hear and but then it's not to the point where i feel like so i see part of the reason we do this because like part of the reason is is like we had all these fantastical stories and then protestantism comes along to cap to question the church and then a lot of it is like a bunch of the stuff that we were just taking on faith or like the tradition of the catholic church gets calls under question and in a way, we're using the most extreme example, especially with St. George and the Dragon. But the point being is is that we went from a society where, like, if it was tradition to believe this, or if these legends were true, we would err on the side of, okay, these probably happened, where we now err on the side of, oh, well, if the Catholic Church is saying this, or if it's tradition, then it probably isn't true. Well, I think the other thing, too, regardless of whether these stories occurred as they did, and i got to mm-hmm. tell you, like, I'm... I mean, depending on what we call a dragon, yeah. right? Yes. I'm deeply skeptical. Okay? Oh, yeah. But, um, but what we end up doing is, as we throw away the story, we throw away the meaning. Um, mm-hmm. It's like people fail to recognize that there's a lot of different ways to communicate truth. 
right? And sometimes yeah. we communicate truth by by stories that we tell, right? Legends and this, that, and the other. Um, and I think Christians have difficulty dealing with the possibility of legends because we're so often accused of believing a legend in the first place about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm. And so what you want to do is just like, well, it's either all a legend or it's all literal. Um, and, and not kind of deal with the difficulties of, well, some of it's, some of it's not literal. Some of it's a figurative language. Right. Some of it's not. Um, but I do think people have a overall tendency to doubt miracles related to saints. Um, no matter how, no matter how fantastic they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even the more normal ones, people have a serious tendency to doubt them. You know, um, well, do you have other fantastic stories? For well, us? so the point one of the okay, so we, there is also one of my personal favorites um, being Saint Joan, Saint Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc. And one of the things is so Saint Joan did not she did not carry a sword with her when she first starts leading the French army. Which probably would have helped her when they went to burn her at the stake. Well, she has a sword by then. Yeah, (laughs) when she first starts leading. But when she first starts leading the French army, she refuses to carry a sword, and she says, God will give me a sword when I need one. So they're about to have this great giant battle with the British, and she is praying, and like in a dream, God tells her to go behind this very small church in Paris and to the cemetery behind and in one of the graves she will find a sword. And so she goes exactly where God tells her to. I mean, she digs she's up a, a grave. grave she's a grave robber. Wait, does she pull it out of a stone and become the king? No, she's she doesn't. <laughs> um, but <laughs> she doesn't. But she finds this sword in this grave and she carries it and that's the sword she has. So she stole the sword from some dead dude. But yeah. God kind of Do was like... Do we know who the dead dude is? I don't know who the dead dude is or if there's any she significance. Of the <laughs> <laughs> Why she was he buried in France? You would think she would have noted that. I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, so we have that. One of the things I see it as is though like... Okay, so when we look at the Boniface story, like even from a historical aspect from what region did we really see Christmas trees starting? And, like, what region, especially in Europe, do we see, like, a Christmas tree is a tradition that you do not try to take away from these people, and that's the Germans. Especially, like, where there's still predominantly Catholic, like, Bavaria or something, you do not, like, the you do not take away the Christmas tree from them. Um, And it's just... I mean, we also... I mean, you could technically say we also have St. Helen with fantastical saints. Sorry, St. Helen, of course, being the mother of Constantine. Indiana Jones. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and she's like, she's the Indiana Jones of saints and her later years... I mean, obviously, A, people are like, okay, so St. Helena is credited with finding the true cross. She's credited, she's credited with finding um, the Sacracula, the manger. She's credited with finding the remains of the three kings, the crown, of, uh, the crown of thorns, the holy nails, all of this. And people are just like, there's no way an old woman's going around and finding all this. And it was like, it's an old woman who's the mother of the emperor that has the entire wealth and power of the Roman Empire behind. It's not like this is a six-year-old woman like out there in the desert. And and then the thing is, is that, well, so a lot of that that has to do with Calvin, which is a whole other story of like discrediting these holy artifacts. But the th- one of the things that really grabs me is so like one of the greatest tradition, one of the biggest traditions was that Saint Peter was really buried under the Vatican, and like literally Saint Peter's Basilica, one of the greatest churches in Christendom, if not the greatest church in Christendom, the symbol of the Holy Roman of of the Roman Catholic Church, that not only. You know, figuratively, did we start on the rock of Peter, but that literally the greatest church is 
is literally on top of the bones. Mm -hmm. It's about paper. But of course, it was Catholic tradition. We had no proof. So everyone's like, no, there's no way Peter is buried under the Vatican. And then we had the whole story of... Well, and, and, and let's just be clear. When we say we had no proof, we had no proof in the same way that I have no proof that my mother is buried in Barber Cemetery in Mableton. Right? I mean, there's this tombstone. Like, there's a monument to her. But, and there's people who remember her being put there. Right? And certainly there's a history saying that she's there. But, I guess... I mean, I haven't uh, actually yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, no, so, and then we get the whole story of, like, I mean, Pope Pius XI, the people of Milan loved him so much, they built him this giant marble sarcophagi. He wants to be buried in the Vatican catacombs, but the sarcophagi is too big, so they start expanding, and then they find this whole, just, like, region down there, and after, and Pope Pius XII is like, yeah, go down there, see what you can find, and after years and years and years, they eventually find this little box that contains the bones of Peter, and when they, when you look at it, it's literally, like, where the high altars are is, like, we're exactly on top of where they found the bones of Peter. Which I, that that's just cool itself, but it's like people started down. I mean, it was like if you talked to if you saw Catholics in the 30s and 40s, it was like no, that's and even Catholics were like. I mean, it's one thing for Protestants to be like that. I mean, obviously they have problems with the Catholic Church to begin with, mm-hmm. but it's when Catholics start buying into it, and then it's like obviously this is just Catholic tradition. It's more than likely not true, and then here's God like, okay, well you know what? Here are the bones of Saint Peter buried <laughs> under the Vatican. And so my overarching point is is that like not just under the Vatican, but directly under under the, yeah. under the, the high altar. Altars. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean it was the current altar and then obviously like the original altar well, we have where Constantine made it. It's yeah. like we have this tendency to assume that people in the past were blithering idiots. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That they would just build something anywhere and everywhere. The same thing has recently happened with the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Uh, they know. have been doing renovations and shoring up the foundation and the buildings and all this stuff. So they had to basically... Father Josh just recently got back from Jerusalem. (laughs) So they had to disassemble basically the tomb of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, what did they find under there? The 11th century um, slab that that had been written about and that it's there. Um, And then, of course, what what happens? I mean, National Geographic, I think they're planning to put out the documentary Holy Week of this year. Um... What do they find? That this slab has these magnetic properties. Yeah, oh, really? Yes. All of the instrumentation, they can't measure it. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. Like it, it messed up all the instruments and everything like that. And it, it's it's fascinating problem, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, there's a documentary coming out on it. I think it's Holy Week. Yeah. Um, but same thing. It's like people are like, oh, there's no way it's right here. Yeah. And what do they do? They take all the stuff off, and there it is. Well, I mean, it's really, the histor- it's really like the historical critical method. And right. like we look at like... All the saints that came before the 19th century are... I mean, St. Jerome Jerome did not know what he was talking about. The man's a moron. I mean, the man, you know... Yes, he converted all of the writings of the Bible into the Latin Vulgate, which is what we (laughs) use. But the man's a moron. It's like we treat these saints as like... Obviously, they don't know what they're talking about because they didn't have what we have today. But then... We also look, I mean, we, I mean, this is not like Catholic controlled history. This is common history. A lot of the knowledge of the, of the known world has been burned at some point between the life of Christ and today. I mean, we lost the largest storage of knowledge in Alexandria when, I mean, when the, uh-huh. when 
the Muslims invaded Alexandria and they burnt the library to the ground. It's like we've lost all of that, so we expect all these saints who had so much more knowledge on these subjects that we did. Again, they're just blithering areas, and we can't prove it. Chris actually brought up one of the few good points that he actually makes, and his example was: imagine Chris is Alex's brother. Chris is my older brother, so by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I can say that. He makes the argument of: okay, let's say it's like 1823, and now it, we're investigating the murder from said eight, a, a murder from 1823, and in 1823 we had all of this evidence. And now 75% of that evidence is gone. However, I am now putting Anthony in charge of infallibly stating who killed this person in 1823. I mean, we would say that and we would go, that's not, that's nonsense to do. Whoever they convicted in 1823 with 75% of the evidence, more with of the evidence, yeah, with yeah. all the evidence, is much more of a valid claim than whatever we come up with because we don't have it. But that's how people want to treat history. It was John no. Quincy Adams. He committed the murder. <laughs> John Quincy Adams. John Quincy yeah. Adams. <laughs> he killed his way to the president. <laughs> so there we have it. So, uh, right, so anyway. yeah, so the, the main point is just like when we hear the... I mean, obviously, you don't have to believe there was actually a dragon. Part of me and part of Anthony, like, we want to... There was, like, there's something there. You know, mm-hmm. and, and there's something. You know, I, I'm I'm not gonna come out and say that I'm a dragon apologist, but you know, again, I see oh, it yeah. from a historical <laughs> side. Anthony will gladly do it. Um, but I, the point being, the point being that I mean, we hear these fantastical stories, and even with these most extreme examples, arguments could be made that something actually happened there. So when we get to the least fantastical arguments, like Peter being buried under the Vatican, St. Helena actually finding these holy artifacts where we have evidence to support it. It's just like, these should more be taken as fact. And we should, like, we as Catholics should be able to look at that and go if the tradition of the church is behind it, I should be okay with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do think um, you know, we do have to remember the church doesn't require us to believe in miracles that are associated with saints or private revelation unless they have been presented to us as uh, things that are kind of the basis of dogma or whatnot. Um, but just because the church doesn't require us to believe in it doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy for us to go around disbelieving things just because they sound fantastic to us. Mm-hmm. No matter how fantastic a story we hear, it is less fantastic than the Son of God becoming man, dying for our sake, and rising again just so that we can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all less fantastic than right. that. Yeah. And if one of these fantastic stories is the means by which that fantastic story, that, you know, absolute truth becomes, you know, yeah. like with the, I found it interesting when you mentioned the child sacrifice, because that, again, is in the story of St. Boniface, yeah. too. Yeah. And the areas that, you know, St. Boniface, you know, this story became popular in Germany. And the story of St. George was hugely popular in Eastern Europe and in Britain. I mean, and, he's the, and, I mean, he's the patron saint of England. Right. For and he no never stepped foot yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And so these stories that you know spread had use like. i mean speaking i mean speaking of england you have like okay so this perplexed me as a protestant child and i don't know if y'all were more aware of this but like i always wondered why the king arthur stories like when they would go search for the grail they never left england and i was like isn't that like an ultimate failure on your part shouldn't you be like going to the middle east but the reason because that is like Joseph of Arimathea, who owned the upper room, who owned the two, upper room where, I mean, Pentecost and where the Last Supper happened.
happens, who owns the tomb where Jesus gets buried, he goes in missions to England and carries the Holy Grail. And obviously the so Holy Grail was in his possession. Yeah, the right. Holy Grail was in his possession. And so that <laughs> the legend was he brought that with him to England. And then you have Glastonbury Thorn, that whole thing, which is where St. Joseph placed his staff and from there sprouted a tree that would only bloom every Christmas and Easter. And like, I would say you could go see it now, but Puritans chopped it down in the 1600s and then atheists chopped it down again 10 years ago. Perfect. Uh, yes. Wonderful. But you can actually, in parts of England, because the way, I don't know anything, I don't pretend to be a good gardener, but like the way the tree like to grow, you like would have to chop off a huge chunk of it and then send it. And like literally the Catholic royal families, like the king and queens, like every Christmas and Easter would be presented part of the Glastonbury tree. I mean, you talk to Britons, Brit- I mean, British people are going to be like, oh yeah, I know Glastonbury. You can go there, you can still see it. Uh, St. Michael's Abbey that used to be there, which was this beautiful abbey until it got burned down during the Anglican Revolution. It's, but it's like, again, so he brings this Holy Grail, so you have this whole Holy Grail being somewhere in, you know, England, and it's just, it's again, it's another fantastical story. And we've actually even found the remains of King Arthur. I remember, yeah. um, I remember reading a book by Charles Williams, who's one of the Inklings, like one of the oh, yeah. guys with uh, Tolkien and C.S. Yeah, Lewis, Tolkien and, and Lewis, and all them. And uh, his books are really good; they're much more adult than um, the other ones. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, the first book I ever read by him was called War in Heaven. And I remember as I'm reading it, somebody had recommended it to me, and I'm just chuckling out loud because the whole thing starts with this uh, nice little Ang- Anglican priest in a in a little parish in in uh, rural England. Uh, discovering in the cupboard of some parish the Holy Grail, right? Yeah. <laughs> and thus ensues a very fascinating story. Um, one of one a really cool book. But I remember laughing at it. I was like, "What in England?" And then I actually heard the story. And I was like, "Oh yeah, well, it's interesting." What's funny is is that like again, I never thought about it. But then I rewatched. Uh, Chris and I were rewatching um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And literally, they, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but they literally bring up Saint. I mean, literally, Monty Python knew more knew about that. Yeah, knew their stuff and was like, they talk about it. Where like after they've defeated the, you know, the rabbit, the blood sucking rabbit, and <laughs> the blood sucking bunny, it's like they go into the cave and he's like, it's the writings of Joseph of Arimathea, and it's like this little, yeah, it's like this little scribe, and it's and it's just like it's amazing to see that's like that knowledge is so well known there that Monty Python is using it for satirical purposes, but we're just like, what What the heck are they talking about? I would like to Grail? say that Anthony and I had a side bet on whether or not Alex would be able to make it through this whole podcast without at some point putting on an affected British accent. So At least it was effective. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> we'll let them decide. <laughs> Post in the comments below. I do think, um, back to a point you made kind of right at the beginning of the podcast, that I do think is a very interesting idea, and that is that so many cultures across the world have some sort of idea of a dragon in their in their history, their early history, their mythology, if you want to call it whatever. Um, that's a fascinating thing that something could be so consistent um, across different cultures. Um, well, then, and also going on something you said with the child sacrifice, look at all those cultures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Assyrians, Babylonians, child, Mayans. I mean, they well, didn't even care well if they be, were children. Yeah. This yeah. is how Satan has presented himself, right? Yeah. In people's minds, in their imaginations, in their dreams. 
right? I mean, it's uh, a fascinating thing. Then why does he make dragons so cool? <laughs> but you're always trying to kill them, though. They're never good True. guys, right? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Well, it depends stories. on what stories are. Well, now you have like those stupid Skyrim stories, and it's like, you are a dragon. It's like, no, you're a human being. Well, that was in like Wheel of Time, too. Yeah, so. no, we don't talk all about right, Wheel of Time. All right, enough of this. Yes. <laughs> They're yeah, going to think they, we're nerds. They, they, <laughs> 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 All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening to the Hell of a Catholic podcast. If you have any questions or comments, uh, any suggestions for podcasts you'd like to hear, um, anything that, uh, any, you know, life suggestions or life advice for Alex. Uh, <laughs> if you'd also just like to come yell at me about dragons, come to Apologetics, <laughs> History, and Heresy every Monday night at 8 o'clock. You can do that, or you can send us an email at <laughs> yes. podcast at GT Unless you're in the really far future and Alex doesn't teach apologetics. Yeah, yeah. unless you're listening to this class like 12 years from now. And if you're doing that, then... <laughs> you need to rethink your priorities. you got to really rethink your life. <laughs> All right, podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thank you, and God bless. Dragons totally exist. <laughs> <laughs>